Hello and welcome to Tales from Wisteria Lane, the podcast where we give you a fair view of all things Desperate Housewives. I'm Billy Ray and Joel. And I am Joel and Billy Ray. What? What? You're so weird. I know. And we are the boyfriends. Yes. So in this episode, we are going to be doing season four, episode 13. Hello, little girl. Hello, little girl. Girl. I will be doing the outline of the episode and breaking it down, leading it, so to speak. And Joel is going to be giving us his fun facts and trivia but y'all know how it works now, right? Yeah, they must know. Yeah, you guys know. Yeah. yeah, you know. Joel, go ahead. So, this episode was directed by Bethany Rooney and written by Susan, Narar, Jaffe and Jamie Gorenberg. Uh, and it aired on Monday, April 27th, 2008. So, the episode title references the Stephen Sondheim song of the same name from the musical Into the Woods. Ah. The French translates to to go up in smoke. The French Canadian is breaking the rules. Hebrew is to break the law. And Spanish is hello, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) Which makes me think of that frog. You know, they're like, hello, my baby. Hello, my honey. (laughs) (laughs) And the song Wow by Kylie Minogue was released as a promotion for this episode. Really? Yeah. I remember that song coming out and liking it at the time. If you guys want to feel really old... At time of recording, yesterday was the 20-year anniversary of when Complicated by Avril Lavigne came out. So for when this comes out, that'll be like a week later. Yeah. And also, it's been 25 years since Jagged Little Pill by Alanis Morissette came out. It's also been 25 years since Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah. As well. That came out this so, week. Um, so, yeah. Feeling old. <laughs> really are feeling old. And so on this day, actually, Katy Perry released her very first single with I Kissed a Girl. Really? Which also makes me feel really old. Yeah, that makes me feel a bit <laughs> old, actually. MySpace started to see a massive decline with most of their users migrating to Facebook. A popular meme, which some of you may have heard of it, was starting to make its way around the globe, which was Rick Rolling. I mean, that never stopped. <laughs> and in the year 2008, Megan Fox was voted FHM's most sexiest woman, and Obama was Time's Person of the Year. Brilliant. Uh, in the previous episode, Wayne had double-circled Dylan's face in the newspaper, like, at the very end. And in this episode, he's just single-circled Catherine's face and Dylan's face. Hmm. So there's continuity. That is also mentioned in IMDb, but I will brag and say I did notice that myself watching the episode. Very so. good. Continuity <laughs> error. Yeah. So I did a little bit of trivia on Dog Voice. <laughs> what? because What's because Dog Voice? Dog Voice is, you know, when Gabby talks to... Um, What's the dog's name? Dog. Yeah, dog. When Gabby talks to Carlos's <laughs> new guide dog, and she's like, sorry, but it's two. And like people talk to dogs like baby voice. There's basically. trivia on dog voice. Yeah. So researchers have found that younger dogs do respond to the high-pitched pet-directed speech better than they do the regular speech. And as puppies get older, they become less responsive to dog-directed speech in comparison to adult-directed speech. So, But we still do it. We do. Some research has found that the same word and gesture can be read two different ways, so commanding or informative to the dog, depending on how high or low your voice is. And there are other studies that have revealed that dogs can tell which people will be generous with affection or treats and who will be stingy just based off the pitch and tone. Amazing. And uh, they get pretty good at figuring out who is who based on the tone of voice with higher pitches acting as a cue for friendliness. Well, that explains why this dog doesn't like Gabby very much. Yeah. So, and Gary Cole is introduced in this episode as Wayne. And people may know Gary Cole as the voice of Kim Possible's dad. Mm -hmm. And I'm only saying this because B keeps talking about this movie a lot recently. Doctor Who? No. Oh. (laughs) Doctor Who? For a second, I thought he was the master in the Doctor Who film. Sorry, carry on. So B keeps talking about this film all the time at the moment. So he's the stepdad in Cadet Kelly. 
I don't keep talking about that film. <laughs> he talks about it, it all came the time. up when we were on Disney Plus. That is not the first time you mentioned it last night there. You have mentioned it a lot. Every time <laughs> you see it, you're like, oh, Cadet Kelly, we should watch that. Yeah, we should watch Cadet Kelly. Well, we have, we have been watching films from our childhood. Last night we watched... Wendy Wu. Wendy Wu, Homecoming Warrior. Wendy who? Wendy Wu for, for Homecoming, Homecoming Queen. Because <laughs> <laughs> why so, not? Yeah, why not? Why not? So uh, that is all the trivia I have this week. Okay. So previously... In Desperate Housewives, Dylan and Catherine became closer after the Founders Ball, but their picture in the paper seemed to have attracted someone's attention. Mm-hmm. It's Wayne's, by the way. Yeah, it's Wayne's. Orson sleepwalked and told Julie that he ran over Mike, and Rick's new restaurant burnt down, likely due to arson. By accident, he wrote Orson, so I'm glad I didn't read that. Oh. <laughs> and Lynette suspects Tom. Orson's at it again with the crimes. <laughs> So, God, where to start? So Mary Alice basically begins this episode with, I assume is meant to be the theme, and she says that everyone breaks the rules now and again, but when they do, they come up with an excuse, and this leads us right into Dylan being pulled over by a police officer, who is basically just abusing his power. Yeah. Because he uses this his power to find out where she goes to school, where she lives, because people just... I mean, people either don't trust police officers or they just tell police officers whatever police officers are asking, we're, especially when you're young. We're v- very much in an age right now where you do either trust or you don't trust police. It's either fund the police or defund the police right now. Like, Yeah, so this is a really horrible situation. Made me feel a bit uncomfortable. Yeah, me too. Me too. Even though I will say when Mary Alice is talking about breaking the rules, we see like a clips of people, you know, one of the twins goes on the grass and there's a sign that says, please keep off. And Andrew steals money from the Scarvos. Like stealing cash from the till. Like that's old Andrew behavior. That's not new Andrew behavior. No, that's that's very villain Andrew behavior. Yeah, What's like, going I'm, on there? I'm so, I, I mean, I, I would say I wouldn't care if it was just a random place, but I would care if it's a random place. But at the same time, this is also your neighbor's business. Yeah, this like, is also a small business that's yeah. only just started up. It's also a family friend. Yeah. Uh, the, Lynette the Scarvos are a family friend to, to the Hodges slash Vanderkamps. So, Andrew, I am very disappointed in that move, I will say. Indeed. And they kind of, that's where it leads into Dylan being pulled over by the police officer. And this story is basically about this police officer who turns out to be Wayne. Wayne Dylan. No, Wayne Davis. <laughs> Wayne Davis, Wayne Dylan. <laughs> Wayne Davis. Wayne Dylan. Wait, Wayne Dylan. <laughs> Would that mean that Dylan's name is Dylan Dylan? <laughs> yeah, imagine. <laughs> I am Dylan Dylan. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> And yeah, he basically admits that he is her dad, Wayne. Mm. Which also brings up the question as to who was in the makeshift grave. Who was in that makeshift grave? I mean, we know. Yeah, we we do know. But But we won't won't give it away. Because he comes up to her, because doesn't he like, he eventually admits it to her when she's on the park bench, like later in the episode. And he comes up to her and she does so well with acknowledging that he's coming across creepy because this is like, he's like, do you remember me? I'm that cop that didn't give you a ticket. (laughs) <laughs> and then she's like, I'm actually meeting my friend. Ladies, good shout, Dylan. Yeah. Like, yes, if you ever feel uncomfortable, say you're meeting someone. Say you're waiting for a call. Like, you shouldn't have to do these things. No. These are things that you shouldn't have to do. But unfortunately, in this world, you've kind of got to create your own rules to survive. Unfortunately. Because Dylan thinks this man might want to hurt her. Yeah. So good for you, Dylan. Good she's for like, you, Dylan. You know what? I gotta go. But yeah, he admits who he is and they get to know each other a little bit. He does actually admit to slapping around Catherine a little bit. Yeah, he does. But he kind of implies that maybe Catherine was also a little bit violent. Yeah, but I absolutely hate that. The way he's so blasé, we've been like, yeah, but (laughs) she gave as good as she got. Yeah, you're right. That doesn't make it much better, sir. (laughs) No, like, that's your defence, Wayne. I beat your mum, but she hit me back. Like, I'm sorry, but... 
I'm not sure if this was supposed to be like a gag of the episode. Oh my God, that's Dylan's dad, that cop. That's the person that circled it. It was Dylan's dad. He knew all along. I'm not sure if that was supposed to be a gag, but I kind of feel like most people saw that coming. Probably. It might have been supposed to have been a gag because of the makeshift grave. But now the season mystery is again, who is in that damn grave? Yeah. <laughs> Plus, What's happening? this episode already has a much bigger gag coming up, guys. Oh yeah. I it think has... I've probably saved that till last. Yeah. Yeah. That has the bigger gag. But like, yeah, getting back to getting back to the dad and beating Catherine. Like, if I was Dylan, that would be my moment to decide. I'm cutting all ties with you. Mm. Unfortunately, Dylan's interest in getting to know who her dad is does get the better of her. So she decides that they should carry on meeting up and getting to know each other. Yeah. And Catherine doesn't need to know. So they just carry on talking. The music does not let you believe that this might be innocent and nice, though. The music's like... Dum, yeah, dum. The, the music certainly makes it seem like Wayne's got ulterior, ulterior motives. Yeah, they, they want you to know that this guy is a villain. Yeah. So we get to the end of the episode with Dylan, and she seems to want to do nice things for Catherine, like go out and grab dinner and post some stuff for her. Yeah, she suddenly gives a shit about her mum now that she's got a dad. But then it turns out that she just goes off with her dad. Yeah, and I would also like to point out, like, first of all Dylan doesn't care about anyone but herself in this instance she already knows that Wayne used to be her mum and so she is bringing Wayne into the vicinity of her mum without a care and secondly she tells Catherine that she will pick up dinner for the two of them on the way back from the printers but then she meets up with her dad and she's like you ready for dinner so you're going out for dinner with your dad or are you picking up food for your mum? It's going to be like that Vicar of Dibley episode where she has to have three Christmas dinners. Yeah, right. <laughs> so are, you, are you having two dinners or have you just lied to your mum to get out? So your mum's going to be sitting there waiting for her daughter to come home with food. Right. <laughs> She's not. You're going to give her the leftovers from the restaurant that they've wrapped up for you. Lady's going to get low blood sugar. Right. But that's basically Dylan's story in this episode. It's a little bit short, but mm. it's a good way to open, I guess. Yeah. Since we've spoken about Catherine, um, let's move on to Bree's story. So Catherine says that people are impressed with her and Bree's work at the Founders Ball and they want to hire them. And this is basically the start of a very interesting storyline because she is eventually convinced to join Catherine on this venture. Mm. So they seem to be starting up a company. Yes, yeah. We've finally got to the point now where Catherine and Bree are starting their own party planning, catering mm. company kind of thing. It's great. It is great. And that's basically it with Brie, other than some inter intermingling with Susan. Yeah, which so I'm guessing <laughs> we'll talk about in season. So we'll go on to Susan now. What I will point out <laughs> is, although it's a great concept for a storyline with Brie and Catherine, we, I don't really think we get very much. What, this season? or At all, really. They really don't explore Catherine, Catherine and Brie's working relationship with the catering company as much as I think I would have liked them to. No, not very much at all. Um, the catering stuff does come up, and every time it does come up, I did like it. It would have been nice to have more, but yeah. we'll get there in in, in, the, in the next season, guys. Yeah. Yeah. How exciting. So Susan is very emotional this episode, guys. Yeah. She's at a very particular stage of pregnancy where she is just... Everything's making her cry, even acoustic guitar. Boo-hooing. Girls boo-hooing at everything. And Brie in this episode is basically leaving Susan's to go back to her own home, which is much to Susan's dismay because she pretty much loves having Brie around. Yeah. And she starts crying and it makes Brie very uncomfortable to see Susan cry because apparently you should handle your emotions like a lady. Yeah, she's like, oh, you know how this sort of thing makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> I know, I can't stop. Did you get like this when you were pregnant? So if you want to know about how Brie handles emotion, we're going to play a little clip for you. Yes. Oh, I just can't control myself like that. Oh, sure you can. Whenever I feel my emotions getting the best of me, I simply picture an empty box. And I take whatever I'm feeling and put that in the box. And then I picture myself putting the box away in a big, empty closet and closing the door 
then, if I have time, I go back and open the box and deal with the emotion in private, like a lady. What a read. It's a very fancy way of saying I bottle up my emotions. Yeah. Without having to say I bottle up my emotions. It's also a very fancy way of saying you're not elegant, Susan. Right? Like, like a lady. A lady. <laughs> mm. Do you know what that gives me? That whole speech gives me Yzma for Empress New Groove vibes. But she's <laughs> like, I'll put that flea in a box and then I'll put that box inside of another box. <laughs> Don't bottle up your emotions, guys. Don't no. take Bree's advice. It's not, and I quote, ladylike. No, end quote to um to ball up your emotions. No, not at all. Don't just let out your emotions in like tiny little bursts. I mean, there's not very much to Susan this episode. Again, Susan is just there for comedy to facilitate the stories happening around her. Yeah. So as much as this is titled Susan because she's the main character, it's really more about Julie telling Mike what Orson told her when he was sleepwalking. Yeah. And then Mike asking Orson if it's true that he ran him over. Mm-hmm. And Orson just doesn't deny it. He just breaks down, really. No, and it kind of... I, I kind of felt bad. I did too. But it's probably because just because he's such a good actor. Kyle, I, yeah, Kyle is very good in this scene. And he even got me a little bit emotional. Mm. Because you can clearly see he feels guilty. And we all know now that he did it to protect his basket case for mum. Like, he wasn't just <laughs> doing it to get Mike. Not that that makes it any better, what he did. But no, not at all. He has a reason for doing it, and he genuinely feels apologetic. And we can see from the previous episodes, it is really weighing on his conscience. Do you know what, not, what really got me, though, this episode? The way that that got you, I imagine, was probably when, towards the end of the episode, after Susan has stormed over and basically demanded that he stay away, there's the bit the next morning when she goes up to Bree and just says, I don't want you to... Well, she does, I'm paraphrasing, but she says something like, I don't want you to take it personally if... I don't smile at you in the street or if I don't come over for coffee anymore. Mm. It's just that I want to try and figure Orson, but that's going to take time. Yeah. And she's basically saying that this could hinder our friendship a little bit, but I, I have nothing just wrong be, with you. Yeah, just be patient with me. And that kind of got me a bit. Yeah, I thought it that did. was really sad. I, I did love when uh, Mike came home and Susan was making his favourite meal. And she's like, I'm making your favourite meal, like steak and potato or mashed potatoes or whatever. And he's <laughs> like, oh, this is my favourite meal. And then she has to run off and put something in a closet. <laughs> She was like, I'll go put something in a box and put it in the closet. And then oh, she yeah. ran off. <laughs> he said something like, oh, I, I actually prefer them this way. Oh, potatoes are gratin. Yeah, he's like, I prefer them this way. And she's like, oh, oh. He's like, I actually <laughs> prefer patty gratty. And she's like, you could say patty gratty when you were three. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, though, Susan is just here to facilitate Mike's and Orson's story. Yeah. And Mike has quite a moment in this episode because he basically says that he wants to forgive him. Yeah. And just kind of move on. And Bree doesn't deserve to be without a husband. Benjamin doesn't deserve to be without a dad. And I thought that was a really interesting move for Mike. Not not negatively. It sounds like I'm saying that in a bad way. No, no. Um, I get what you mean. I think it's probably because there was probably more to that scene with Mike and Orson than we saw. Perhaps a deleted scene. Yeah, it really annoyed me um, when they cut away. Yeah, I know. Because it really could have shown like a, a good scene between Mike and Orson where they do talk about it. And we see Mike forgiveness to Orson mm. as opposed to just having Mike turn to Susan and saying I want to forgive him yeah but we have this um very reflective moment with Mike when he's talking to Susan mm. and Susan says it's not enough I want him in prison and Mike just says I've done some terrible things too and I want to forgive him and I thought that's so reflective mm. and interesting I, want, I wonder why we didn't get more of that Mike would also know what it feels like to grow up with a dad in prison. So he's probably thinking of that as well when he's thinking of this whole situation, especially when he mentions Benjamin. That's true. Um, because Mike grew up as a child with his dad in prison. So 
And Mike um, is just like, oh, it's just a bit of murder. It's not like he actually did it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I would like to point out, guys, listeners, that scene where Mike comes out and Susan sat down and... Well, like Susan... Yeah, Susan's sitting on the porch and Mike comes out. That scene, remember that scene. Oh. Because that, they, they recreate that scene later down the line. I can't believe you brought that up. I hate you. What? <laughs> what a horrible thing they, to say. They, I saw it. I was watching the episode and I was like, oh my God, that's that's like a recreation oh, of God. that icon, like the scene. So um, yeah, remember that scene, guys, because that scene comes up again. Yeah. So let's move on to a slightly longer story, which was Gabby and Carlos. Yes. They've they found a very particular niche for Gabby stories. They want her to be selfish and bratty, but in a funny way. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And they they want her to to grow each episode. But next episode, she finds something else to have a problem with that's similar in a similar sort of vein to the previous episode, but not the exact same thing. <laughs> yeah, I feel like in terms of longevity, she grows as a character. But each episode starts with her almost anew. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. You do play the slow game with Gab- with Gabby's character. Like, so, it is a slow development. Yeah, so Gabby last time was meant to be having a hard time with the blindness. But this episode, Carlos has one of those blind training eye dogs. Guide dogs. Guide dogs, yeah. So Carlos gets a guide dog this episode. Yeah. Which is great news. But Gabby doesn't seem to know very much about guide dogs, does she? <laughs> no, but someone needs to warn Roxy because a lot of dogs just disappear on this lane. And oh, Roxy, yeah. Roxy could be next. So someone needs to warn Roxy. Maybe Roxy's going to find Bongo. That'd be nice. And I can't remember what the Scarface dog was. Called. So the guy comes over and introduces Gabby to Roxy, the train, the actual trainer of the dog. Mm. And we just have this wonderful clip. Yeah. Okay, hypothetical situation. Carlos and I are sitting on the couch. I'm doing my nails. He's whining for the remote. How do I get Roxy to fetch it for him? <laughs> She's serious. Oh, Roxy doesn't do that. Um... Her job is to get Carlos from point A to point B as safely as possible. I get that, but surely she's trained to do other stuff. You know, like find his keys or turn off the radio or lick up his spills. Yeah, and after that, she can go solve crimes with Shaggy and the gang. So from that, we can gather that Gabby seems to want some kind of miracle dog <laughs> that can do all these things. Don't give me your blind sarcasm. <laughs> I saw a dog on TV yesterday that could push a lawnmower. This is so awkward, that because they then start having this teeny tiny argument in front of the trainer. The poor dog trainer must feel so uncomfortable. Especially when Gabby points out that she's she was on her hands and knees the other day scrubbing the tiles because someone can't pee like a girl. You refuse to pee like a girl. <laughs> I just, yeah, I really wanted to point out, why does Carlos refuse to sit down and pee when he's blind? I don't know. This is the most severe case of man brain that I've ever heard. Yeah. He's like, oh, it's my house. I know where the toilet is. He's just flying, is he? It's around everywhere. He's literally blind and he's like, no, I must pee like a man. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Gabby. (laughs) But Gabby has such a strange concept of what guide dogs can do. Right? She wants a dog that's trained to do some crazy stuff. I mean, she instantly had a a bit of a negative tone when she was like, will Roxy grab the remote when Carlos is whining? (laughs) So she's instantly going for these little digs at Carlos. And it's no wonder this dog doesn't like her because towards the end of the scene... Like, in your trivia, I think he noticed her tone. Yeah, because she, like, but then again, like, she said he's kind of limited. She's like, for a die, he's kind of limited. And then she turns to him and she's like, sorry, but it's too. I can't believe she <laughs> said that. I was like, we don't talk about Roxy like that. Poor old Roxy. She's, I don't think she knows what she's getting into, this guide dog. Not at all. So, naturally, this dog doesn't like Gabby very much. Mm. Um, seems to pick up on Gabby's tone quite quickly. Um, but I thought this whole situation was a little unfair. 
because Carlos can be really frustrating and he brings out a tone in people. He does. He brings out a tone in me. This dog would hate me. And like, I'm sorry, but even in like the next scene, Gabby's like, we can see Carlos is clearly spoiling Roxy. And don't get me wrong, guide dogs deserve the world. And I wish I could give guide dogs the world. All dogs deserve the like, world. Like, yeah, but guide dogs are, like, special kinds of dogs. Yeah. Like, I love all dogs, <laughs> don't get me wrong, but guide dogs are, are the special kinds of dogs that help us. And so they deserve the world. <laughs> and I get that Carlos wants to treat Roxy, but you can also spoil her. Yeah. So Gabby's naturally like, those are expensive. Yeah, don't like, spoil the dog. And the dog's are, like, Urgh. We're on a limited budget, <laughs> so stop pissing away our money on dog treats. And... I would be nipping that growling at my wife thing in the bud. Guide dogs are not supposed to be aggressive. That's the problem. Carlos kind of likes it. Yeah. Carlos likes that he's got someone on his side to, you know, treat their old ball and chain. Yeah, well, yeah, but I'm sorry. What kind, what the hell sort of guide dog school is this that you have trained this guide dog to be aggressive? It's a very good question. So Carlos did get on my nerves a little bit this episode. I mean, yeah, Gabby me is not innocent. Oh, no, no. But like, oh my God, these, t- these two have problems, guys. Yeah. <laughs> But the dog sleeping in the bed, I do think is a bit too far. I mean, I don't mind a dog sleeping on the bed. My, when I grew up and I had like dogs, they always slept on my bed. I don't think I'd like it. Too, it'd be too hot. But there'd be another thing in the bed. But they always Nothing's... slept. They always slept at the foot of the bed. Mm. Like always at the foot. They were never up there with me because that's just unhygienic. I I'm too tall for that. Pillow. And um, they never took up like an entire side of the bed like Roxy is doing because no no disrespect to Roxy but she's a fat fuck apparently and she just took up <laughs> all of Gabby's side of the bed and Carlos was allowing it but also they're going to be on the blanket they have to yank that blanket over me like oh get it off. yeah that does happen and the dogs do have to like refidget and get themselves comfortable again oh I miss having a dog I wish that we had a dog but me no too. that no dog is sleeping in my bed I'm sorry that's not happening I don't want to be breathing in hair for your follicles and shit. You breathe in mine. You've got this dog in your bed. Yeah, and it's enough. <laughs> <laughs> so I agree. I think that's a bit too far. But even if you don't think it's too far, Gabby does. Mm. So you've been a bit yeah. disrespectful. Give and take. What we learned from Malcolm in the Middle, <laughs> just now that we just watched the episode, there is a give and take in a marriage, okay? And Carlos at the moment is doing a lot of taking and not giving. Yeah, that's, yeah. And then Gabby herself takes it a bit too far by trying to get rid of the dog. She does. She <laughs> does take it one too far. Like, it's shady. It's your blind husband's dog. Yeah, so she sneaks the dog out of the house and takes it back to the training centre. Mm. But she found her way back home. What an amazing dog. It is a really smart dog. Like, Gabby lies to the trainer and says that they've found a monkey that can do everything. Yeah. Toast a bagel. I mean, not gonna lie. If I found a monkey that could toast my bagels for me, I would get that over the dog. So that's a euphemism. <laughs> Oh my if God. I could find a monkey that could toast my bagel. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the dog comes running back because apparently it, it's not too far. Just suspend your disbelief, it's fine. I'm like, how fast? This dog is super dog. It's Bolt. Yeah. This dog is Bolt. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about Edie in this bit as well. Because Edie comes over to visit and um, she's got some judgmental things to say to Gabby right here. Mm. You need to look after that man. It used to be endearing, but now it's just sick that you're... Punching down at a blind man, blah, blah, blah. Right, dropping some knowledge on Gabby's ass is what she's doing. Telling it how a T.I. is. But it's a bit strong coming from Edie, not gonna lie. It really um, is. <laughs> because doesn't she say, like, oh, there are plenty of other women that could treat Carlos right? I proved that. Yeah, I'm, well, that's and a bit like, of a suspicious thing to say, isn't it? It's like, Edie, you didn't prove shit. You lied about being pregnant. Then you tried to get pregnant and lied about that too. You faked suicide by nearly killing yourself. Yeah, like, you didn't treat Carlos right either. No, you you emotionally manipulated and he cheated on you and 
It was a doomed relationship, yeah. but let's not pretend that you're any better than Gabby. No, and you also used your son as sex bait. But I think that it does give Gabby food for thought, even coming from Edie. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe even because it came from Edie. She's like, oh god, being told that by Edie of all people. Maybe I should be a bit more careful. Yeah, yeah, maybe actually, yeah. And then we've got the final story, which is Lynette and Tom, which has probably the biggest gag of all at the end. <laughs> yeah, this is this is the gag of the the season, I would say. As we mentioned in the previously, Rick's restaurant around the corner, that burnt down and they suspect it was arson. Yeah. And Lynette pretty much suspects it was Tom. Yes, yes, she does. There's an interesting part at the beginning where we have this montage of things that Tom does where Lynette realises that he's lying or that he's guilty. So he'll answer a question with a question. He says weird phrases and words that he's never used before and apparently he gets really high-pitched. Mm, oh, yeah. Yeah, he's like, oh, uh, that spiffing. <laughs> I think it looks spiffy. What I will say, because I, I, I mean, I could be overthinking it a little bit, but I think this is possible genius on the, <laughs> the showrunner's parts, basically. But... Is there something the writers are trying to tell us with Tom having problems with lighting the gas and his inability to start a fire at the beginning of the episode? Maybe. That's um, quite telling, actually, isn't it? Because he's there at the oven trying to switch on the fire and he can't do it. Yeah, so it's like, you, you think that this man burned a house, a, a restaurant down? Yeah. Can't so even start the oven. <laughs> I would be like, was that deliberate by the writers or did they just, was that just comedy that they put in and then afterwards realised, oh, actually, that, that works quite well? It's a good spot. I, I think it's probably both. Like there's yeah. there's funny ways to visually allude to things like that, and I think that's what this is. Yeah. So this whole episode is basically Lynette thinking that Tom burned down the restaurant, and Tom's a bit annoyed, especially when Lynette says that he needs an alibi. Yeah. And I, I did think, though, well, you did throw a brick through the guy's window. Yeah, so can you blame her for thinking this? So, no. Yeah, so even if you didn't do it, and even if Lynette didn't think it, you should still have a strong alibi, because they could suspect you if they find out you did that. Yeah. But then it all culminates in this scene where Rick goes over to Scarvo's to talk to Tom, and basically implies that he's responsible because he found a Scarvo's pizzeria thing at his restaurant. What Match, was it? Matchbook. Oh, a matchbook. Yeah, they're like little, like, I'm I'm not sure. We don't really get matchbooks like that in the UK. Why did they leave a matchbook? Like, um, branded oh. matchbooks. We don't really get those in the UK, but um, they were, at least at one point, anyway, quite big in America. Um, it's a strange piece out. of merch. It is really strange merchandise. But um, Andrew's originally there, and then when Rick turns up, he leaves, and he's like, oh, I can't find any candles. And I'm just like, Andrew, you can't find them, or did you steal them? Right, did you steal the candles? You fucking klepto. <laughs> They get into a fight, guys, basically. Mm. I mean, even Lynette says, what, are you 12? Yeah. I didn't think it was very cool that when they're fighting, Lynette gets hurt and then Rick just carries on. Yeah, because Tom stops and he's like, are you okay? But then I also didn't think it was very cool that Lynette broke them up and then Tom carried on. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And she also broke them up with ice. Oh, yeah. She like threw the ice. She threw the ice. She was like, Andrew, do something. And he was like, what the fuck am I going to do? So she just gives him a jug of ice. Gives her a jug of ice. Wet t-shirt contest. Andrew's there like, oh, two men's fighting. Here, Lynette, take this jug. Yeah. So Lynette (laughs) Lynette wants help from Andrew. So he just gives her a jug of ice. Mm. (laughs) So funny. Like, if only it were water in that jug. I don't blame them for turning it into a wet t-shirt contest. So eventually Andrew calls the police and we end up at the police station and um, Lynette goes in and kind of gives Tom an alibi. Sort of. Sort of. And an excuse to do it. She sort of gives him both. She gives him an alibi and a reason to commit the crime. Yeah, that was the problem. She walked in like, maybe he's after us because we nearly had an affair. And the police are like, you nearly had an affair? That's another yeah. reason that he probably did this. She's like, <laughs> he is upset because I wouldn't sleep with him. But can we just take a moment to like, just say ill to Rick? 
when like him and Lynette are sat outside while Tom's getting interrogated and Rick's like oh it's really good to see you I've really missed you and I'm like ew Rick not now Rick Right? If I was Lynette, I'd be ripping that wig off. I'm like, miss me now, so you can see my real hair underneath. (laughs) Yeah, he really does think that they have a chance still. Yeah. Yeah, they do eventually kind of just say he probably didn't do it because he's got an alibi now, because Lynette lies. Yeah, Lynette basically tells the police that she saw him, so he can't have done it. But I liked the scene in the car afterwards. They have a bit of drama, a little bit of a fight. I thought it was cringy. Why? Oh, just like Tom's sassy comeback to Lynette was just cringy. Yeah, but he's in the moment. He's like, I didn't set that fire. See, I can talk slow too. And then he just walks he ac- out the car. He basically accuses her of sleeping with Rick as well. Yeah. He's like, well, you, you totally did it, right? Well, yeah, because she goes up to Rick and like in the police station, she's like, look at me. Would I, would I really let Tom get away with this? If you I'm know like it was me. Him, you know me. Um, and so then that obviously just makes Tom feel even more solidified in his his thought process of Lynette having an affair. But I do like the drama and that this has been brought, brought up again from last season. Of course you love the drama. You I like... love the drama. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is a show. <laughs> Later that night, Tom is sleeping on the sofa and obviously. Lynette has a talk with the twins and they basically admit that they're the ones that set fire to Rick's restaurant. Now that's the gag. That was the gag. That was no. I don't know. I don't think anybody expected it to be them. Yeah. That are the ones that actually did it. Everyone was <laughs> so obsessed with it being Tom. Like, oh, it must have been Tom. He threw the brick. I no wasn't. One, no one I like... been well out of character. Well, yeah, but then who would you have expected it to be? If it wasn't the twins and you thought it wasn't... Oh, it's obviously not Tom. Like, who, who was you thinking? A rando. <laughs> Just a rando. Yeah. Some rando. <laughs> so... Everyone, this episode tried to gag us with Dylan and her dad, but this is the gag. This was the gag. They were like, well, we set fire to the restaurant, so don't be mad at dad, please. And I thought, stop trying to be cute, you little arsonists. Well, they, I mean, yeah, but they did say like, they, because they were there, they witnessed the argument between Tom and Lynette in the previous episode about Rick taking mummy away. So their reason was, we didn't want that to happen. So we (laughs) torched this place. (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I didn't he, want that to happen, so I murdered him. He disrespected you, <laughs> so he, so must, he die. must die. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, yeah, what a gag. Mm. But you have to think, where the hell is this going? Like, if you hadn't seen past this point in your head, you're like, what the... Where is yeah, this I going? Know, right? I know, right? I know the twins are a bit naughty and wild, but come on. What I will say is, I think this storyline gets so good. It gets crazy. It gets so good. I'm such a fan of this, like, arson, the twins, Lynette, like, Tom, their family storyline. Oh, it's so funny. I mean, the the storyline with Lynette for the rest of the season just upsets me. Yeah, I know. Not in a bad way, as in it's really good. It Um, is really good, but it is... I just find it so hard to watch, It is. uh, Poor Lynette. Yeah. But we'll get there. And then Mary Alice basically ends the episode by saying that the trick is to know which rules are okay to be broken and which ones are not. So she basically says, you know, you can break some rules, but just don't break the law of arson. Yeah, like <laughs> you might sneak a grape in the supermarket, but I think that setting fire to a restaurant's a bit naughty. Yeah. Running someone over, I don't think. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> the theme of this episode was a bit weak, or at least I didn't pick up very much of this theme. About you know, not thing. doing crimes. It was a theme of sometimes people break the rules and they have an excuse, but you need to know which rules are okay to break. And I was like, where did this come into play at all? <laughs> I don't know. I kind of felt like they... This felt like one of those episodes. There are several of them in Desperate Housewives history where they write the episode and then they have to write something for Mary Alice around what they've written. Yeah, because Mary a... Alice always says things like this where she's alluding to a theme or an yeah. overarching story. 
but there's a difference between breaking a rule and committing a felony. Yeah. She's like, you need to know which rules are okay to break. So maybe don't run people over and set restaurants on fire and be a creepy police officer breaking the rules dad yeah pretty much and dylan maybe don't go off with an older gentleman we've all been there dylan but maybe don't do it (laughs) (laughs) yeah at least she's not doing it for the sex no but she oh god i mean jesus at least that's better than what a slice of pie with your dad yeah i mean it's good that she's going to a public place but you're also going to a public place in his car where he could murder you that is true yeah (laughs) So that was the end of the episode. We're now going to move on to Joel's segment where he's going to give us the gayest and the straightest moment. So, Joel, what do you have for the gayest moment? I am giving gayest moment. To Andrew and his obsession with candles. Fair enough. (laughs) Didn't Tom ask him to get the candles, though? Well, no, Andrew was looking for the candles and he couldn't find them. So Tom was like, there's probably some out back. And there probably isn't any out back because Andrew's stolen them because he's obsessed with candles because he's, he's gay. Them. Yeah, exactly. Gay gay people love candles. We love our candles, guys. Oh no, what if he's struggling? Scented or unscented? Then go to your mother. And he can't afford the electricity bill and he has to the candles. Oh no. Oh, well then go to your mother. Nah, steal from the restaurant. No, don't steal from the poor to help the poor. You, you need steal... to know what rules to break. <laughs> <laughs> you steal from the rich. You don't steal from the poor. And who do you have for the straightest moment? Straightest moment. Is going to be joint. Because I just can't decide between my two favourite ones. So it goes to blind Carlos for refusing to pee sitting down. And the second one goes to Wayne for just laughing off hitting Catherine. Sorry. To be like, she gave as good as she got, bitch. Yeah, a bit of a calamity <laughs> Jane moment. Sorry, I smacked her about a bit. So what? So what? Yeah. So um, it, it's a joint. It's a joint one. So Wayne and Carlos <laughs> for straightest moment. Fair enough. God, Carlos, just sit down and pee. Yeah, I know. It's really not that hard. You're blind. We don't think you're any less of a man. No. Uh, So, uh, those are my awards. So, now we move on to B's awards for best and worst parents. So, B, who do you have for the best parent of the episode? I don't have any awards this episode. Ugh, again? I'm sorry, but what would I have done? Um, You could give worst parent to Brie for letting Andrew struggle. (laughs) But we'll, we'll give the most congenial award to Brie... For giving out her advice about how to bottle up your emotions. Very helpful. Mm. And we'll give the least congenial award <laughs> to the twins for burn- trying to burn down a restaurant. Oh, yeah, there we go. Yeah. Well, actually succeeded. No, they succeeded. They didn't just try. You see, that's that's scary. They actually managed to do it. They did manage to do it. Thank you very much for listening. This was Tales from Mysteria Lane, Season 4, Episode 13. Hello, little girl. Thank you. If people would like to... Get in contact for any comments, queries, questions, and theories. Where can they find us? So you can find us on Instagram at Boyfriends Review, and you can find us on Twitter at BFS Review. We've been a bit silent recently because of social lives and uni assignments, but we're back on it again now. Mm. And you can also email us. Our email is boyfriendsreview at outlook.com. And you can also find Louie, who does our artwork, on Instagram at docredmonkdesign. Yes. And there's a link to his Etsy page. He does commissions. He does. So we'll see you next week. Goodbye, guys. With season four, episode 14, Opening Doors. See you then. See you then, guys. Bye. Bye.